You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Greg Klemovitz from Church Divinity School of the Pacific on contract with Learning Forte. And I'm here with Michael Drell, a third-year student at CDSP. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Michael, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Uh, I'm a postulant uh, for holy orders from my home parish is called St. Michael and All Angels in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Um, So it's La Iglesia Anglicana de Mexico, which is part of the Anglican communion. Um, We were like a direct uh, mission of the Episcopal Church of the U.S. until the 90s. And now it's an independent church within the Anglican communion. Um, I'm living here in Berkeley with my partner, Chris who is here at the moment and sometimes working overseas, like he works for Medicine Sound Frontiers. So he's away uh, part of the time and here part of the time. And uh, we're very blessed to have this apartment from CDSP and enjoying Berkeley and, and seminary. Beautiful. What, what drew you to CDSP to, to enroll as a student? Um. To be honest, I was studying already with the Theological Institute in Cuernavaca, and I had contacted CDSP and some other seminaries in the States. Um, and then I was actually uh, the victim of, of a, a home invasion and uh, like uh, a, a kind of drawn out situation of robbery. Um, which was very stressful and in the home where I was staying of, of, of a woman from our vestry. And uh, they, they decided that they were going to help me get out of Mexico and go on pilgrimage, which I loved doing. And I hadn't had the opportunity to, to do the, the Via Frances to Santiago across the north of Spain. This was like a dream of mine. So it was a, a therapeutic offer. And um while I was on Camino, it really just came to me to get back in touch with Spencer Hatcher. I literally just wrote her an email. She got back to me and said that there was still space and I could start in the spring term. If, but first I had to have an interview and do the application and all this stuff. And um, so I ended up doing that and that just went amazingly well. It just all felt right and the obvious choice. You said that one of the things that you're passionate about is helping folks make the bridge the eschatological the eschatological hope that you have, mm-hmm. especially as someone who professes to be a Christian, with the realities of a world that's deeply stressed and strained, and how to help folks bridge those two together so they can maybe even find a similar hope that you have. So can you tell us a little bit about that, about wh- how you came to that discovery or that curiosity? Yeah, I think um, this was probably, I mean, I'm someone that asks a lot of questions normally and in class or outside of class or to God and to myself and to um, everybody around that will that will listen and answer. But there's like um, a larger or maybe a more fundamental question um, for someone in my position as a postulant, which... Uh, probably came about through theology class and and the discussions 
with Professor McDougall and with my classmates. Um, and the question being, how how does a priest or how how does anyone in a in a, a position of of ministering um, offer the sense of eschatological hope that really is around fearlessness and trust of God, trust of the divine, um, and trust of one's path. Uh, how do you offer that to others, um, especially if they aren't people of faith? And especially I'm trying to to work on, I wouldn't say figure out, but I'm trying to understand better how that is brought to others and offered to others um, beyond beyond the verbal. How does this uh, eschatological hope and, and sinful world come together, uh, you know, it, not, not, not really just in time or just in understanding, but how do they interrelate altogether? You said something I want to kind of lean into a little bit because I haven't heard that phrase before but so much, but you said the nonverbal responses or nonverbal offerings. I don't know if that's the way you rephrase it. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Um, I think that, um, well, maybe all religion as humans practice it relies on the written word and the verbal word. And obviously, Christ is the word. And maybe more than what that means as far as words is like how that is a, a sense of being and a, and a salvific sense that can be transmitted in other ways. Like, I mean, for, for me, the obvious would be, you know, the sacraments and, and Holy Communion and what goes into that that is um, inexplicable, all, all, but all all worship and and uh, um, despite the fact that it's laden with words, like what else is going on that that's the real essence of it all? What is one event and or issue happening in the world that has impacted how you view ministry today? I feel like the 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 issue of suffering has been a, a, a long running issue and a, a pertinent issue in every in every context of 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 what people are um, experiencing in a very diverse world that we have right now. I'm constantly reflecting that on what does it mean to do ministry or to be a minister or to have a calling to the priesthood. I mean, it was funny you saying we're talking about the Episcopalian side of things or whatever, because it's, a, you know, the Anglican communion is extremely diverse and Anglican theology is is extremely diverse. And, you know, we have evangelical wings and Anglo-Catholic wings. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times I, I don't feel very Episcopalian in relation, to, <laughs> in relation to what other Episcopalians might be saying. But there, there's so many niches with, yeah. uh, within the tradition. Um, that you 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 know if you if you're thinking about it you'll find your your brethren in your home you've alluded to the fact that you're someone who is pretty well traveled it sounds like 
So can you tell us a little bit about uh, how your travels around the world have uh, particularly provoked your understanding and even more so your compassion and empathy related to human suffering? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it would have begun before I traveled anywhere beyond the city where I was born, which is Washington, D.C. Um, and I went to um, a hugely privileged education of private schools in D.C. And most of my education, well, at least nine years, uh, was at a Quaker school. And we had community service as a big part of our of our week. Um, uh, and we had pedagogies, you know, designed and, and delivered in ways that were, were about citizenship and understanding, you know, what was going on for people that didn't live in our neighborhood or, 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 or go to our school. Or, I mean, the, the school was conscientious in, uh, in understanding in, in, in instilling social justice uh, at the very least. But, you know, even we studied the history of Africa b before I ever learned, you know, the 50 states and their capitals. I we were studying the African countries and the, the, the history of colonialism and the history of empire. And um, yeah, I don't know. It always seemed like racial justice, especially at Sidwell was always just a huge topic uh, that that we were reflecting on and we were criticizing in the world or in our own community and and just working with all the time and also to have to have Quaker meeting um was a powerful form of like school chapel you know you're you are sitting in silence and and are given kind of equal opportunity to stand up and, and speak if if you're so moved uh, equal opportunity with the principal or the headmaster or any teacher or other adult uh, or or other students. So there's something about the egalitarian stuff within Quakerism that I think is very powerful, um, especially when it doesn't become too individualistic, which it also does. And I, I'm I'm wary of of uh, a lot of the the relationships between. Um, Quakerism and capitalism, you know, since the 18th century in English mill towns. I mean, they, they were, um, it, it was a close, a close relationship. I feel that. Mm. <laughs> I really do. So wh what has been one uh, creative or, or maybe even experimental ministry opportunity that you've explored or encountered over the last year that has inspired you? Um, I guess I, I started working at a, a foot clinic i've started doing voluntary work with some uh, a podiatric nurse and a wound care nurse that um, have a clinic in uh, at saint john the evangelists in the mission in san francisco um and so i think that for me has been huge because it's related to you know the path I felt like I was being called to, but I wasn't quite sure how that would work. Like as far as healthcare and faith, I really, you know, the concept of healing within Christianity is, is huge. And, you know, it's there, it's contentious still like, uh, 
what does it mean to need healing or what does healing actually do? Is it, is it the same as cure? And then what about care? Like actually physical action of care is, is, is really what love means. You know, I think, I think especially in English, we, we have a really limited and I would say uh, restricting concept of love. And we have this expectation of an emotional, you know, a personal emotional feeling that is my love that I can have for a you. Um, and I feel like it's, uh, it's isolating and objectifying. And I don't, re- I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Do you, I mean, it's fascinating to me to hear about um, what you're talking about. And so I would love to, if you could describe a little bit more about this podiatry ministry that you're a part of. What I would also love to hear is how that may relate to the questions you're asking, asking about suffering. Okay. It doesn't seem like it's disconnected. They seem deeply related. Yeah, totally. I would say that... Um, so a little bit more about it. This is a clinic that is run by two nurses who are volunt- both volunteers. Um, they have they basically have a, a chair which someone can recline on, and they have their tools that they use um, to care for people's feet, um, which you know could be as simple as as cutting their toenails um, and advising them on on more or less moisture being necessary for their foot or, you know, there's all sorts of different problems that people have. And, um, and so these, these nurses are caring for these kind of uh, situations or conditions that are material. But I I think for a lot of people uh, to have their feet cared for is, is an unusual situation and it's a powerful situation um, and it's comforting. It's uh, I mean, obviously there's painful stuff going on sometimes like some sometimes something needs to be cut or or removed or adjusted in ways that are are painful but in general i think all the clients because they keep coming back um find it soothing and if if we think of um john 13:14 and the 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 pedilavium the foot washing um in the gospel of john it is uh is the eucharist in that in that gospel um i don't want to say anything heretical but i think there are eucharistic qualities that were very much intended and 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 you know we we have holy communion every day um as as a, a rite and foot washing is once a year maybe at Maundy Thursday um, as a kind of just like a symbolic ceremonial thing that's, you know, the more reading I do, the more contentious I realize it actually all is and how uncomfortable it is for people. And, and I, I, I think that that's, for me at this, at this moment in time, if I feel like people are uncomfortable with, with, or feel confronted by, by something, um, that might actually be a sign that things are on the right track for, for their formation. Um, is, 
Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say, but the the I th- I think as far as human suffering, our feet are the are the place where we make contact with the ground. Ideally, although we we often don't, we spend our time in shoes and and on concrete. Um, but I I feel like it's really important for us to to start at the ground, even with our let's say Christian education. You know, what, what I was talking about earlier as far as like how to offer people um, a sense of hope or or a sense of eschatological hope and, and salvation, um, we, we've mucked it up trying to do it from, from our heads. And it's really clear to me from, from the example in the Gospel of John, I mean, Jesus... Quite literally says, like, I mean, excuse my misquote, but it's like, see what I just did? This is what I'm talking about. Do this. This is how you will follow me by doing this. It's, it's, I don't think it's actually such a metaphor. I think it's pretty clear. Where do you sense God calling you to live into your vocation beyond your seminary experience? Um, I, I feel very strongly called to this as part of uh, seminary and the seminary experience is very much part of this broader call to care uh, as love and as uh, as our actions embodying Christ's hands and feet um, that uh, that it's it's just part of it. So I guess more more uh more clinics more knowledge you know i I, i've thought about doing um, the nurses are trying to figure out like what's the most entry level uh nursing or care or even a beauty therapy uh, like beauty um certificate that i could get to be able to do more hands-on and i'll be honest the first day i went to volunteer for them i had such an amazing experience that I was like watching them work and kind of frustrated because I used to do similar work with horses hooves and it's very similar I was watching them and like the, the I mean the tissues are, are are the same they're just smaller so the tools are smaller um and I was thinking oh gosh maybe I should have gone to nursing school instead of seminary I was feeling really kind of like sad and frustrated that my role seemed so different than what they were doing. And then I, I, um, I'm not plugging social media, I hope, but I did open Facebook when I was on the train back to Berkeley. And the first thing that came up was Pope Francis, uh, not his, his, um, Facebook page, but someone had posted a photograph of him, um, dressed the most civilian clothing I'd ever seen him. Um, but still with a collar and, and he just looked like a, you know, a, a, a regular priest, not a Pope. And he was working at a soup kitchen or, or sorry, a meal uh, meals for, for free meals for people. And, um, and all of the comments underneath were talking about how we need to see clerics doing more hands-on work. And, uh, and that just blew me away. And it was like a, it really gave me a sense of relief that 
no, I'm, I'm still very much on the right path for everything that I feel God is calling me to because I, in as much as I can decipher God's call and discern the way, is that I would be a cleric doing more hands-on care stuff. Um, and that that is probably an important, uh, this, is, this isn't just about me. I, I think that those comments from people, and they were people all over the world, um, I, I, I feel like this is maybe a bigger issue for the church in general. And, and in fact, I was talking to, we just had our parish retreat. Uh, my field ed parish is All Souls on Cedar Street. And we were at the Bishop's Ranch for our parish retreat. And I work with the youth group um, every week. And, and uh, so part of my responsibilities at the retreat were, were with the youth facilitating conversations. And we had a passage from Isaiah. Oh, no, sorry. This was a passage from Jeremiah um, talking about uh, basically God was going to put something in your mind and write it on your heart. And with the youth talk, talking about, you know, what what's going on with mind and heart and how do we connect them? You know, the typical thing. And then one young man said, Oh, what about gut and gut feeling? And I was just like, yes, yeah, keep going. And then this, this young woman said, and even the feet. And I was just blown away because like that was, I mean, I couldn't have, you know, asked for, for a better comment as far as what my own interests are in ministry. And she said, yeah, I th- I th-, she literally said this. She said, because I, I brought up the fact that um, when she said about feet, I brought up the fact that this is a big issue because most insurance won't, there's, there's nothing billable for foot care. Like mm-hmm. if you have an infection, the nurse, uh, I won't implicate anybody, but one of the, one of the nurses that I have worked with, um, not actually at St. John the Evangelist, she did tell me that she has to say that she sees an infection to be able to do anything. Mm. So there used to be clinics for people with diabetes because they have a lot of issues with their feet. Um, but some, so it's, it's, a, it's the way the, the medical, medical care system is set up right now that it's kind of left by the wayside. So anyway, I brought up how much of an issue it actually is foot care for, especially for marginalized people. Um, and that could be physical or financial or unhoused, all sorts of different reasons why people have trouble caring for their own feet. Um, but when I, I mentioned this, she said, yeah, the church should be at the forefront of this type of stuff. And I was just completely blown away because that's pretty much how I feel. And it, this isn't just about foot care um, or foot washing. I feel like if Jesus was washing a, a disciple's feet on, uh, you know, on, that, on that Thursday evening, and uh, and saw an ulcer or an ingrown toenail or a splinter or a, a wound of any kind, that it wasn't just about like this ceremonial water contact. There was uh, there would he- there would be healing going on. Our landing. Uh, what is a final word of encouragement you have for those listening to this episode or, or reading the transcript, especially uh, a word of encouragement to the CDSP community? Something I found, sorry, it's not just a word, but something I found very, um, uh, I don't know the right word, but beyond helpful lately has been 
when I've spoken to some of my mentors when I was back in DC for, for, for the grieving period uh, after my brother's death. And I have uncertainties. Like, I mean, everybody in their third year has all sorts of uncertainties. And I really realized this last year, how wherever you are on the academic spectrum, they, the third year is, is suffering. You know, people that are like the total superstars of the class that are, you know, in my opinion, going to be a bishop someday, they also were stressed about where they were going, if they could afford to live in that city with this great job being offered, even on the wage being offered, like all this, that type of stuff that is just unfortunate and unnecessary, ultimately, and torturous. Um, so my uncertainties, when I took them to my the people that I really trust as advisors, and I'm fussy about that, um, they all basically told me, shut up and pray. Mm. And that's kind of how I, I might, you know, like surmise my, my favorite theologian, Sarah Coakley. Um, I think the content, I think our listening abilities are, are, are not very good. We're great at petitions. We're great at intercessions. We know what we want. We know what we think we should have in this world and what what the kingdom of God would look like to us. But we don't really, um, we, and definitely including myself, are, I'm not good at really listening. And and that is a um, part of, of the, the bigger and more important problem is that we don't really know how to feel beloved of God. Mm. We, we, the immensity of God's love is something that I, I feel like we're, we're struggling with, um, beyond what's excusable for, for our developmental stage of humanity. It's been a long, we've been here a long time. We, we've had the gospels a long time. Um, and we know, we know, you know, like we've talked about on words or on paper or, uh, through sermon like we're we are supposed to know that we're loved by god um and i i feel like we have hardly been able to grasp that yet michael thanks so much for joining us uh, on crossing conversations it's been a privilege to hear your story in your heart thank you very much thanks great Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu. Mm-hmm.